Hi, I'm Roxy. And I'm Priska. And we are the two Two horny horny goats. Welcome to episode two, where we will cover sex and relationships. Hey guys, so this episode covers some pretty sensitive topics. If you've got kids in the car with you, um, this might be a good episode to skip. <laughs> or come back later when you have some or private come, time. <laughs> come back later, you know, when they're 18. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Priska, yes. bitch, how are you, girl? Girl, I am good. How are you? You know, I feel like we talk all the time, but there's always so many things to like catch up on, even during this strange time when things are just super quiet. You know what I mean? It's so true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like when someone's like, oh, what did you do? My brain blanks out. (laughs) But if I like go through my calendar, I'm like, oh, I'm having Zoom hangout with, with people, you know, things are like happening, but it just feels like one like Truman show, like we talked about last time. <laughs> A hamster wheel of just like everyday yeah. occurrences, Groundhog Day totally. for sure. But I, I did do something very interesting. Um, yeah. I, last Friday, I moderated this um, very life-changing panel because, you know, I do moderate panels a lot, but yeah. this one, Priscilla was like so unique and it was about authentic authorship and I want to get your thoughts about this because like nowadays because of the shifting landscape of like the film industry and like Black Lives Matter and like you know all of these stories sort of rising out there's this discussion of who gets to tell what stories right Ah, right and I don't know if you've ever noticed this and maybe you have but like documentaries have always been made mostly by the western white gaze you know it's like a white person going to like a tribal community and telling their stories to white people, you know? Totally. And like this panel was really about like decolonizing that white gaze for wow. BIPOC. So BIPOC is black indigenous people of color stories. Right. And I think this goes for like, even in books, in mm-hmm. music in like films. And, and it just really transcends like having an authentic voice Right. From the community that you're speaking to. And uh, it was really incredible. So you were you were moderating this panel. What was like the biggest um, kind of takeaway or, or what was something that someone said that kind of opened your mind in a different way? So I think for women, because it was it was like a panel full of female filmmakers for an audience of mostly female directors. Yeah. Um, the, the discussion was, well, I'm a woman and it's already so hard to get into a room and to get that job. If I'm yeah. a white woman, what am I supposed to do? Step away and give that to someone else when it's already so hard for me to get a job. And right. I think this is this goes with the same in every fucking industry for women or like an art or like an artistic career. Right. It's like it's already so hard for me to get an opportunity because I'm a woman like but for me to like even I don't know. So then um, one of the panelists, she said something incredible, Lisa Valencia Svensson, and she said, um, do you want to have a life of integrity or is it about your career? Because in the end, if even if you take that job, it wouldn't serve you because it wasn't the right thing to do. So, you know, it's like your career or your integrity. You know what I mean? And she goes, we just have to start being more accountable and mm-hmm. be more responsible and ethical about our choices in the world that reflects 
in creating media that reflects the world that we're currently living in. And that like made my brain explode because these are the conversations that like you and I have been having in private, but like never in public. Yes. It's so true. And I feel like it was interesting. Like when we first moved out to LA, it was like, we'll take any job. And the perspective was always fear-based. Like, I don't want to do anything to put xyz job in jeopardy you know i don't want to put and it's like a job that it it might not even have mattered to you until you got that interview and all of a sudden you're willing to put down all your morals and all your integrity to prove that you quote unquote have what it takes and i feel like there is a balance because i'm not saying you you shouldn't you know pay your dues and all those kind of like um standard work things but i think that at times our fear of losing the job makes us conduct ourselves in ways that we're we're not, if you pull back and look at the big picture, we're not going to be proud of ourselves for. Right. And I think it's, well, it, it's interesting. So, you know, not necessarily for women, but my husband, he's been part of this play Cambodian rock band and, and they've had their fair share of just theaters pushing back, but just kind of being like, well, this is, this is how it is. This is the party line. Mm. Um, and all of the other actors who are theater actors and, and I don't blame them. It's their career. Um, they often are more likely to fall in line with whatever bullshit comes their way, you know, Mm. and seeing my husband, because he's more of a musician than a theater actor, he's been Happy, happy to put his foot down in emails, in photo, in phone conversations, right, right. and um, I've been really proud of him. And I was like scared because I think as women, especially, we're like afraid to lose an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, as Asians, um, but the reaction, the actual reaction on the other side, um, it, it, it was really inspiring because actually like people listened and, and things actually changed, even if it was in an uncomfortable conversation. It's uncomfortable, but it needs to be had. There you go. Like it just needs to be had. So I think like that was extremely monumental for me. And wow. uh, it sort of reflects like how I feel about our podcast, because it's like we have so many conversations in private about the topics that we talk about. Yeah. The being brave enough to like have these uncomfortable topics at the forefront, you know? Yeah, because you were telling me earlier this week, so you were feeling some sort of way about after we recorded our first episode, mm-hmm. like what was going through your mind? What was going through your heart? A lot. Uh, <clears throat> I realized that um, I actually am so used to moderating, asking questions, but it's very hard for me to open up. You know, yeah. and uh, I, I, I so greatly admire you because like you are so open and willing to give. And there's that, that weird like comparison thing where I was like, oh, my God, like, am I stepping up enough? Am I like matching enough? You know, and what's beautiful is that we're, like we're growing in this together. And yeah. with every new venture, it's like you discover something about yourself. And I'm like, holy shit, I thought I was an open person, but actually being completely vulnerable to talk about some of these things is something that you have to actively work through. So, um, and that's a really beautiful thing. I just want to commend you on your courage. Cause I think that it's it, like you said, it, it's more difficult and it requires more courage than maybe we even realized when we, you know, came up with the idea. Oh, for, the for sure. 
Like we're like, oh, yeah. we're making a podcast. It's fun. We're just having a it's conversation. Fun. But yeah. oh my god, because it's so personal, you know. But if it's more personal, totally. it's more universal, right? Right. And it's like taking uh, taking ourselves to the brink of discomfort is you know, hopefully going to allow people to relate a little bit. Cause I don't think we're the only people that go through the shit we go through. No, it's impossible. Even though we feel so isolated when we do. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, What's been going on with you, girl? I got a COVID test and congratulations, please. (laughs) My husband and I are negative. Um, And I, you know, I was nervous about taking a test because there were like a lot of botched false starts back in what, June or maybe even May. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hadn't gotten to, to get one. Um, but I, I basically, I, I have to go see um, some family members over the weekend. And so I was like, I want to get this done. Um, and so my friend, he linked me to like, it was a same day appointment. It was super easy. We'll put the link to it in the show notes because I think it's so important for us to just be aware if, if we are asymptomatic, asymptomatic carriers, like we should just know, you know, it, there's nothing scary about knowing. And so basically I, we drove up to Dodger stadium. It was like it was like being in the movie Cars because it was just like a line of cars, you know. It was like being at In and Out, <laughs> being at In and Out past twelve thirty. You know what I mean? And it took about an hour. You watch like a very dystopian looking video of Eric Garcetti. Um, it was almost like Blade Runner esque. You know what I mean? Just like yeah. on a screen, and it was. Um, and then you swab your mouth for like thirty seconds, uh, break off the the extension, put it in the little tube. And then you throw it in a bin and you're done. So um, I highly recommend it. Nothing scary about it. Better to know than not to know. And good, you know, in terms of testing numbers versus case numbers, it's good to kind of, you know, be part of that statistic. It's so easy now. You know what I mean? Like, I just think, please go get tested. You know, it's so accessible. It's free. It's easy. Priscilla did this in one day. Um, And uh, you could... You could like talk to someone or listen to music while you're waiting in line. And, you know, honestly, being in a car is like the most exciting thing nowadays because like we (laughs) literally can't do shit. So, um, you know, do your thing. You know, say you went out today. You went out. You did something. It's a big event. It is. Yeah. Thank you. Get dressed up. Put on your makeup. (laughs) I put on makeup. I wore shoes. I put on a bra. Like it was a whole to do. (laughs) Like I felt like I was going to the Pantages, you know, (laughs) I was like ready to go had my first stole around my shoulders yes. um, congratulations <laughs> your debut honey thank you so what's our first topic um so our first topic is what it's like to learn about sex in an asian american family <laughs> what the hell are the birds and the bees <laughs> so rocks let me ask you did you ever have the sex talk no, never had the sex talk. I mean, it's so awkward, and um, you learn yeah. about sex and sex ed, sex ed class, and even that was mm-hmm. weird, like in school. Yes, you know. Um, but I imagine that this isn't just an Asian experience, too. I think that a lot of families struggle with this, but maybe more so with you know Asian or like people of color. You know, like just just. I don't know. It, yeah. it could be a thing with that, but I never knew anything about that stuff. The most education I would ever get is TV and movies, but like Ooh. that was 
I was like, okay, so you have to mash your lips with somebody else. And then, uh, and that's supposed to make you want to close your eyes. You know what I mean? Oh, like, and pop your feet and pop your feet. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And like be, be tilted down, you know, by yeah. a man or something like that. And then, um, it's you like know, three pumps, <laughs> orgasm done roll over in your sheets no but like before porn priscilla it's like before you even knew what porn was you know what i mean it's like yeah it's like like pg-13 pg-13 or even just like oh if you think about little mermaid or you think about like animated snow white it's like they they mash your lips together it somehow makes your eyes close and then somehow you live happily ever after and then you get married you know like that was the conditioning that was established when we were little (laughs) girls so um i don't know like how did you learn about mashing your lips with other people did you ever learn that and what was your exposure well okay so i i just want to say that my favorite movie um when i was in first grade and i was in the hospital with a broken femur um i watched the movie uh junior about twice a day because back in the day they would have three movies that kind of played on a loop in Uh the hospital uh between like eight and eight don't quote me on this this is just like what i remember from being seven but i would watch the movie junior and i remember learning so much about like the pregnancy like i knew what was happening at three months at four months at five but i knew literally nothing about sex because in that movie i mean it was such a crazy premise but it was basically like a test tube baby i I don't even remember how he got pregnant i guess it was some (laughs) sort of like transplant or something but that was my favorite movie growing up And I knew nothing about sex, only about pregnancy. So that was like a big gap, you know? And so for for me, I I did have an obsession with every rom-com. There's always like about what, like like maybe halfway through the movie, they finally fuck, you know, for the first time. And it's literally like the 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 sheets move you know <laughs> and their heads kind of move but you don't see anything else and it's like thir- it's like maybe 15 seconds of activity and they roll over and it's done and i remember and they're super satisfied after 15 seconds of activity so satisfied <laughs> and they're like so like their connection has deepened in such a crazy way you and know? then they get married after 15 seconds of moving under the sheets <laughs> 15 seconds or or the girl is guilted to hell or shamed to hell for mm. having sex, giving up her flower, you know. <sighs> right. And, uh, yeah, I think in, you know, so this week I've been reading a lot about virginity. And uh, I think, you know, I think you could call it to an extent like the myth of virginity. But really it, it had roots historically um, just in patriarchal lineage, you know. And so basically it was uh, men wanted to pass things down to their to their children and the best way to make sure their bloodline was pure um, was by fucking a virgin or marrying a virgin. Um, And it didn't mean that the men couldn't go and have other partners or be with prostitutes. And by the way, they were never criticized for that. Um, But then this, this idea that let me, let me make sure my seed goes into like fertile soil that no one else has seeded um, to make sure that my lineage is pure, that it really is my kid. Um, And I was like, oh my goodness. And then like religion gets involved and, you know, all of these uh, things start to kind of commodify the female sex. And um, then you get in the nineties, extreme abstinence from the conservative church which i don't know about you but like that was i think one of the most damaging things to ever happen 
Tell me more about that. Okay. So with extreme abstinence, it was like this very... It was it was almost um I don't know if you heard of true love waits. Oh or yeah. I kissed <laughs> right? I'm sorry, I, I'm like throwing up in my mouth. <laughs> no offense or, uh, to yeah, people's lifestyles. No of, but. You know, and, and and that's that's a good point, Roxy. I, I think this isn't a criticism of how people decide to live their lifestyles. Like that's not the judgment. I think it's just that some some people like myself didn't have the choice or weren't given the context and just lived in this um, kind of box of shame and guilt for very, mm-hmm. very, very long time. Right. Um, and so extreme abstinence, basically these true love weights, they, they would have rings and, and merch basically, um, and conferences where basically, um, uh, the girls would, would get a ring usually from their father. So it was kind of like another symbol of property. Like, Oh my, I'm the property of my father until I get married. And then I exchange the ring from my father for my wedding ring so it was essentially um just male ownership (laughs) male ownership exactly exactly and again not a ton of men were doing these conferences i mean you know maybe they were but the focus was definitely on the females and if females had sex or you know acted in like acted inappropriately they were shamed and they were called out um and often even in the even in biblical times men in the bible were commonly polyamorous and had sex with prostitutes and had extra wives um but the women were were not allowed to supposed to um but it's a very specific reading of the bible because if you go into the old testament Um, you'll find that actually there were a number of women that used their sexuality um, to help win wars and help um, stop genocide um, like Queen Esther. So it's very interesting because it's very pick and choosy, you know? Well, that because it goes back down to what I was talking about earlier, who gets to tell what story? The ones who get to write the story, create the history, create the narrative. And it's like, okay, well, these women were regarded as heroes. You know, how, how come they get the exception of the role? Right. And like women, like not just, you know, in, I think, you know, religious institutions or like, you know, um, Asian, you know, communities, but it's like all over the world, like patriarchal societies give women the short end of the stick. We're restricted. You know, we're not allowed to, we're not allowed. We're like property We're we're, we, we do not have the freedom to live our lives by our own agency. And that is like, honestly, I know that everybody gets to choose their lifestyle and you live under whatever institution you believe in. And that's all the more power to you. But there is so much freedom in life if you allow yourself to explore that without judgment, you know, and, and we want everyone to, we want to encourage everyone to be able to live their own truth and to be authentic about what it is that you desire. And it's so interesting that you say that about, you know, polyamory in terms of like um, the past with those men, because in tribal communities, it's like back in the day, um, everyone was polyamorous. And also you, you could, you could, you know, you could fuck whoever you want. And like, you could fuck um, the same sex, you know, Greek mythology and like Greek history as well. It's like, there was a lot of homosexuality that was also allowed as well. And it wasn't shamed upon. And hella fellatio from like students, from there's like students, 
to, you know, the master. Because that's how they got wisdom, you know what I'm saying? And that's how they stopped being distracted. Because if you have a raging boner, it's hard to learn in school, you know? It's very distracting. You want to relieve all that sexual tension. It's like, like, uh, Professor, I have an apple. You know what I mean? But it's like, will you take a bite out of my apple, come into my garden of Eden? Is that the genesis of the apple for teacher? Is that code? I'm sorry. I don't know. It changes everything. It does change everything. But I I just (laughs) wish that, like, um, you know, sex became this huge thing. But sex is just like, I don't know. I mean, sex is a part of life. You know, it's not like life changing, I I would say. It's It's, human nature. It's really not. Yeah. And I think for me, as like growing up super Christian and super all the, like, after I did have sex, I felt like, oh, that's all that was? You know what I mean? Like, and it's fine. It's good. It's fine. And whatever. But at the same time, like for myself, I was just like, oh, okay, well, that was a lot of buildup for like something that's just, you know, it, it, it's, it's fun. It's fine. But it's another part of life. You know, it's nothing um, outside of a human experience. No, every animal, Bones. everything, like everyone fucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't be revered as this, like, you know, th- this one thing you get if you remain chaste for like as long as you can for somebody. Yeah. I think that's actually quite toxic. Yeah. And like you were saying, like, if if you value your virginity, like that is beautiful. Good. Good. Like, th- like, take that. Cherish it. it. It's good. We're not. That, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying the institution built around the protection of virginity at all costs really to um control the female control women and like that is damaging and that is harmful and like none of us need that additional burden on top of already making the personal choice of whether or not you're ready to have sex you know and I wish that was a conversation I had with my parents like it's really more about whether or not you're ready whether uh, instead of feeling that you could at some point become tarnished you know what I mean was that what they told you yeah I mean um I definitely like the one thing my mom did was uh, my mom, my dad's a pastor. My mom's a youth pastor. We would have weekends at our house where we would watch um, these videos by like a very 90s haircut looking lady, um, a a lady with a 90s haircut. And um, she, you know, would get the duct tape and and paste it onto her skin and rip it off and then try to paste that onto someone else and then rip it off and then by the 10th person this piece of duct tape is no longer sticky and um and then she's like that's what happens when you have sex like when you have sex with more than one person you're basically like it's fine it'll still be sex but it's not gonna be as pure and clean and sticky and all these things and as if people are gonna know as if your vagina is gonna tell a story um you know and and i think there was a safe sex message baked into that but the primary message was definitely you are only as good as uh, until someone breaks the seal it's like buying something from the grocery store and it's like once the seal is broken do not eat you know what i'm saying your damaged goods exactly exactly wow and how healthy is that for young women to see themselves that way it's like terrible yeah it's terrible. It's like really you are not any less worthy, you know, if you decide to have sex. Like sex is a very primal nature. It's a very natural thing. Um, yeah. But speaking of, mm-hmm. like with all the constraint regarding access to knowledge in your younger years, like how did you educate yourself about sex? 
Oh, okay. Um, you know, I, I thought growing up that porn was like the worst thing ever, you know, so I never did porn um, as a kid, which, you know, is kind of sad because I think we should have a healthy relationship with, you know, things that can help you along. But mm-hmm. also porn is problematic, but that's probably for a future yeah, um, episode. Prob- it's very <laughs> <But> problematic. I, <laughs> I would buy um, Cosmopolitan magazines and hide them under my bed. And after my parents went to sleep, I would study it as if it were a textbook. <laughs> um, and, and, and which is, you know, it wasn't the best education, but it was better than what I was getting at home. Um, and then and then how about you? What, like, what was what was that process for you of educating yourself? Oh, I fell into the porn thing way early, like in when I was like 13. Is that is that young? I don't know. Like, uh, you, like and I would go on LimeWire and I would download <laughs> dirty videos that would give my computer a virus and slow it down. Like I, I went there because for me, like I'm the type of person and I think we all are like the more taboo something is, the more I want to know yeah. about it. And like. Um, right. I, I sort of want to tie this in with my first orgasm because it's like, um, okay, you know, it's like, it's like you, first of all, those, uh, those videos on LimeWire were like super shit. You know what I mean? Like they were right. very, very it low quality. It was basically a gif, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was, it was all very terrible and they don't give you enough information. And I am so no. curious about what the experience would be like. And so my first orgasm, I was in. Tainan in Taiwan and I was visiting with my family and I was in my grandmother's house and uh, my parents and I would live in one room when we go visit the South. And uh, my parents were downstairs with the rest of the family and I was by myself in the room. And we had this really old black and white TV and uh, you would switch through like maybe five channels and there would be always the restricted staticky like adult (laughs) entertainment channel. And this is also the moment where I reflecting back on it discovered my queerness because um there was so much static and even the genitals were censored you know you don't really see that if you do get a clear you know snippet of of anything and the only thing that was ever defined were breasts wow and then so then i became so obsessed with a woman you know female breasts i thought they were so sexy i loved it when a woman took off her top like everything else like like when later when i became exposed to penises and vaginas like that really cool but that wasn't what was erotic to me what was erotic to me were breasts and then so i remembered like watching this and then like feeling wet down there and then like not and then feeling frustrated and wanting to do something and then i remembered like like i sat on a pillow and then i just started you know moving and then i experienced what the french call le petit mort the little death and i remembered that feeling and i was like holy fucking shit like (laughs) what was that like it was incredible fireworks fireworks um well, now my parents will know that that was where i had my first orgasm was in grandmother's <laughs> house in the room that we all shared what about you <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all i am totally with you like i i think the the absence or the 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 teasing of something can be more erotic than the thing itself like right um because genitalia i mean i guess it's sub like it's like subjective but they're not pretty things in particular, <laughs> but when no. they're touched and, 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 you know, moved in the right way, 
they give off wonderful sensation, you know, but they're not visually mm-hmm. that pleasing. So sometimes, yeah. Um, for me, actually, I was also at my grandmother's house. Um, and because we <laughs> were, I think we were moving. I know. Because maybe we feel safer, you know, it's like a move. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we were moving um, and we were just staying at her um, house for the time being. And, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think in the church there is a lot of concern with males masturbating. Like, the the guys, the males at our church, they would have meetings. Like, we could not go to their morning devotions. Um, come to find out years later that they're always, like, talking about porn and masturbation and shaming them and, and giving them talks about that. But I guess for the females in the church and the, the little girls, oh, there's no way that these pure like, you know, uh, virginal women or girls are ever going to think about sex. So it was never spoken about. Uh, this is in a Chinese church. And um, so that was was interesting because, like, I didn't even get shamed for it. So I'm, I'm in my grandmother's house. I'm pretty sure I read some sort of, you know, once you hit high school, all of a sudden the books that they assign you have sex scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes they're like four to five pages long and you have to like write essays about it. So I'm pretty sure I was reading one of those. Um, and you know, just kind of, you know, did a little record scratching and then, uh, it happened and it was (laughs) (laughs) tickling the bean, (laughs) tickling the bean. Yeah. Like hanging out. Um, and, uh, and it was, you know, honestly it was an awakening and I get why they call it a sexual awakening. Cause it was just like, Oh, this is another realm of experiences that I didn't know was possible. It was magical. I was, I was like, how come no one told me about this? Yeah. <laughs> and, okay, so this is, this is the thing. So if, if we have kids, Rocks, mm-hmm. like I always go back and forth with this because I, I too feel, why didn't someone tell me about this? Why wasn't this a conversation? Why did this have to feel, in a way, dirty and something mm-hmm. I knew I had to hide? So in having kids like when is the right time to and and how how evocative will uh, like how evocative um will you be about the process um will you give tips will you not say anything until they find out for the first time like what like where are you at on that i do feel like no matter how cool we try to be as parents there are still boundaries that we need to have with our child you know and um no matter what we do in trying to be the parents we want to see, like we will never be the right parents that our kid wants, you know? So I think like the best thing to do is to really create that space where they don't feel shamed or shameful that you leave the door open for dialogue. You leave the door open because the last thing you want to do, which I think is like a very clear narrative with our mentality growing up is feeling insecure in our bodies or feeling like we're not worthy of feeling sexual or like not being pretty enough of being desired, you know, like that is something I clearly hope that I can undo one day when I have my own kids. Like I don't want them to ever feel like they're not deserving of that. So um, they will still go on their own journey, but the doors should be left open for conversation. That's, that's beautiful. That's like, I couldn't ask for anything more. And I hope, you know, if, if I ever have kids, I hope I can deal with it as, you know, like boundaries, very important, privacy, important, but also feeling, creating a safe space at home. Um, 
And if you, if, it, you know, Roxy and I are not parents. If there are parents out there that have thoughts on this, please tweet at us. Um, we're at Two Horny Goats on Twitter. Like, we would love to hear your thoughts because... I mean, honestly, we're just talking in theory right now. Putting into practice yeah. is a lot fucking harder and um, it's a whole other journey. So we completely respect that. Like, you know, talking and doing are two completely different things. A hundred percent. So, okay. So did you, like... Did you ever shame yourself for feeling the feelings that you felt? Yes. All the time. Oh, my God. You know, like after the first orgasm, you have a desire to masturbate more. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But like you feel like you have to hide. You're just a sweaty mess. (laughs) You're just a sweaty mess. You're always fine. When can I do it? You know, and like every time you do it, you're just like, oh, my God, does this make me slutty? You know, like, um, or do people masturbate this much? And at that time, the Internet was not as accessible. We had to do dial up. If you remember that. Oh, my God. Um, And uh, (laughs) it was it was just and nobody was talking about it. It feels wrong to talk about it. And there Mm -hmm. wasn't you couldn't really talk about it with your parents either because there was like a different mindset about the talking about this stuff. Because like, like you said, there was that definition of seeing a woman as dirty or if you're blossoming as a young woman, what does this say about you and who could you become in the future? That's so dangerous. You're not chaste or, you know, virginal or high shelf. You know what I mean? Top shelf. Like it's fucking bullshit to give our parents credit. I also understand that a lot of it is, how they wanted to see us and like if we are if you know they gave birth to you know two little bundles of joy you and me um, (laughs) for sure and and you know they they helped us when when they when we scraped our knee they were there for our first homework assignment first days of school etc 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 and I don't think that any parent is is quite ready when when we're 12 or 13 which is still so young I think it's difficult to view your kids as like potentially having sexual desires. So to their credit, I also understand the way I was treated wasn't because like my parents wanted to constrict me. They wanted to one, keep me safe and they wanted to guard their own view of like their precious daughter in their minds, you know, so precious all the way through. Like, (laughs) remember, it's like uh, you can't date uh, until you're 16 or 18 or an adult or then you get married. And that's like the only thing like you're not allowed to date around. You should really know that this is the one person for you. Commit to them for life. And uh, oh, my God. But we'll be able to deconstruct that. But in terms of like we were talking about pornography before. Mm -hmm. But um, but did you ever read erotica? What turns you on? Erotica works way better than anything visual because like I think it was so many years spent cloistered at home, um, no access to the Internet. Like my Internet would shut off um, after certain times. I didn't have Internet in my room. Um, I wasn't allowed to chat with friends. I wasn't allowed to be on the phone with people. So I was very, very sheltered, very cloistered. And so I think because of that, I think a lot of it has to do with like we're talking about what your first um, encounters are, what what your habits become. And it's very it's it's, it imprints you in a way, you know, 
So I think erotica was my only access and it wasn't even like seeking out specific erotica. It was um, like, you know, books that I had to read for high school, um, books that looked very innocent on the front, you know, because my mom definitely, um, you know, uh, censored the things that I was reading. But I was I was a voracious reader um, growing up. And so you encounter quite a few sex scenes in books and and the way that they describe them and the and the best ones for me are the ones where you can really understand the journey internally of the female. Like, I think there's a lot of bad erotica where it's just like pump, 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 you know, like throbbing member. But like, you know, I like the emotional connection. I like, you know, having um, just that kind of not necessarily gentle, but connected experience. And I feel like in erotica, you can it's harder to showcase that in porn. No, for sure. And also it's like um, those dirty, trashy romance novels. Like I always go to the library, those very smutty romance novels, because my mom wouldn't know that there's sex scenes in them. You know, she would just be like, oh, she's reading like a nice romance novel. But no, that's where I was getting all my education. All of it. It's like, oh, a nice baker living downstairs. Oh, that must be innocent. And you're like... (laughs) It's like 20 pages of a sex scene. Take your baguette into my... I'm always just like thinking about the author and I'm like, how are they able to like write about, you know, now us being sexually experienced, like a 15 minute like sex scene into fucking 20 pages of like that slow burning emotional experience. And yeah, that turned me on more than ever. You know, the struggle, the push and pull between like the two characters and like their um, relationship journey. And that just like does it so much more than porn. I mean, porn, I think, is more of like a fantasy aspect you know it's they give you some context with really bad acting and then like some Such guy bad acting yeah bad acting <laughs> whips out his like i don't know 12 inch dick and then like you know the the Which woman in her scary like that's it's so big. scary it's like kind of painful and like yeah. the woman in her perfect body and i i you know the thing about porn i i do respect porn i do you know appreciate the adult industry but it serves mm. these really unhealthy expectations yeah. for young men and women Totally. You know? And I think, like, like when I see... Even, like, you know, there's porn with Asian Asian women in them, but they always... I don't relate to any of that. Like, they're just... Screen, like you know it's just like Screening a caricature so, like so yeah much. it's like a submissive and then dirty in bed like kind of like i like it doesn't it doesn't seem like a person i relate to in any way you know um, it, a lot of people who mostly get you know a lot of partners i've had who were younger or like had most of their intake through porn all perform the same way and it's performative based oh, on what you see in porn it's like a standard routine <clears throat> whipping the dick on the face i'm like who the fuck actually likes that you know like yeah <laughs> are we talking yeah. about building a romantic connection i'm like this is this there needs to be more educating the more exploration than this so yeah deconstructing yeah. porn in your intimate relationship with someone is absolutely necessary Okay, so how much of your sex ed growing up, like, at home, like, you know, not saying anything, how much of that had to do with, you know, culture, like, being Asian, um, you know, uh, versus, like, it, it's just their own personalities and philosophy? None of it. I okay. think it it's all comes back down to self-educating. Right. And, like, me being courageous enough to take that journey on my own. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it's like... 
and babe, you know the story. It's like in my 20s, I got into a long-term relationship just thinking I should live the, you know, um, just follow those expectations of like having a long-term relationship, getting married and having kids and having a family and then choosing to walk away from that, reject that, and then going on my own sex journey. Um, And it's like that really helped me define sex in my 20s versus my 30s and like how it's so different for me Mm -hmm. now. Um, But what is, what is, what did sex do for you? My last question for you mm-hmm. yes. before we wrap up this topic is your relationship with your body. Like when you first had sex versus sex now, how has it empowered you, made you insecure? What was that yeah. like? I think that demystifying, I think having sex finally, um, and I was, I was a late bloomer. Um, I think when I finally had sex, it demystified the mystery of, of sex. And I thought, I always kind of thought I wasn't worthy in some way that other women knew things I didn't, that I wasn't capable of doing that. A lot of anxiety um, Mm -hmm. was uh, surrounded that Um, just fear of not being sexy, fear of not knowing what to do, fear of being rejected, all of those things. It was so um, it was like stacked on top of me at all times. And it gave me a lot of anxiety. I didn't know how to talk to men. I didn't know really how to talk to women. Um, I was afraid to broach the subject because of my upbringing. Um, and then once I finally had sex, I was just like, Oh, like all of us women, all all people, men and women and, and, and non-binary peeps, like all of us, you figure it out. And it's also, it's not something you, it's like, if you're building a house, like you're not building it on your own. Like you have someone there with you to, to, to draw up the plans and like, and go through the construction together. It's not just, it's not done in isolation, um, anymore, you know? And so it's actually like a, it's like a team project. You work on it together. And I think that aspect of it relieved a lot of stress, demystified a lot of sexual, um, like misconceptions I had for a very long time and allowed me to like have way more confidence. And I was waiting for the, 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 the shame wave to hit me Mm -hmm. and I was waiting to feel different and I was waiting to feel dirty. And the fact is like, I didn't. Yeah. And that was shocking. Like I thought lightning was going to hit. I thought my, I thought, you know, the way I saw the world would complete, like completely change. I thought, I thought everyone would know, you know, all these things that you think when, when you're young and you're, you're just having your first sexual experiences. But the fact is like, I didn't feel very different. It was another aspect. It was another like way in which I interacted with another human being, you know? So that's so great. It's like it's like the the revelation versus everything you were taught and yeah. fed when you were growing up. Yeah. Just that one moment of truth peeling back the blindfold. It's it's beautiful. All right guys. Well, that's topic 1. We'll be right back with topic 2 after a short break. Hi goatees. The highlight of our week is getting to hang out with all of you. If you like hanging out with us, why not recommend Two Horny Goats to a friend? Whether it's your coworker, quarantine buddy, or a long-distance BFF, drop them a link and we're available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.
Welcome back. Ay. Welcome back. Ay. So what are we talking about for a topic too, Priska? Okay. So we are, you know, we're, we're going deep today. Uh, we are going to talk about Roxy's journey with polyamory um, and why it makes sense for her, for her time in her life. And um, we're just going to go through how she came to these decisions, um, what, what her kind of sexual journey has been up until this point and why being poly is fucking sick right now. <laughs> um, and, and again, uh, jokes aside, like this is not a trend. Like this is really something you have dug deep um, to find. And I think maybe even we're afraid to fully explore until like a more recent stage in your life. So I'm super excited to talk to you about it. I am straight, cis, boring, married, <laughs> um, love my husband, but you know, I, I, I grew up very sheltered. Um, and it wasn't until college that I had friends who were finally telling me about their experiences very candidly that I was finally learning and opening up. And, um, I was even a small group leader. And one of my regrets is I wonder if I shamed people. Like I honestly don't remember because I was so entrenched in it. Mm -hmm. I wonder if I shamed people. I wonder if I made people want to go back into their shell and I, like, like really it's one of my biggest regrets. Um, and I think then Slowly, I was able to, I took like a social 69 class, with, which was human sexuality, which totally opened up my mind um, to uh, just the fact that it's a facet of human life and it's not on this huge pedestal. Um, so anyway, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Um, and, you know, I'm struggling with a lot of the the old um, hard, uh, the old software that I had installed, and I'm still going through the process of unlearning. So I still deal with struggling with feminism, um, being a feminist and, um, you know, being married. I I'm still struggling with things like that. So anyhow, that's kind of where I'm coming from. And so if I have any questions like um, for you, rocks, like that's that's where I'm coming from. And let me know, like, also if I'm, you know, not on track too, because I'm, I'm here to like learn a lot from you, you know? So, okay. So, um, what, what triggered this journey and like, how was, take me, take me to the beginning. What was that like from the start? Well, I think, um, I haven't, I've never been this person who was always dating somebody, you know, like I think I was more of a social butterfly, really loved friendships. So like throughout college, I didn't have like a partner as you know, yeah. and then, um, I moved to LA and I think due to a great fear of instability and like a new environment, I uh, started dating somebody yeah. and, uh, very quickly it happened very quickly. I think like within two or three weeks we were like, let's be boyfriend, girlfriend. And then who knew that in the blink of an eye, four years would just pass magically. And, um, and, uh, you know, he is a very lovely person, um, mm -hmm. you know, who I'm talking about. I, and I do I, happen to know who you're talking about. Very yeah, lovely person. Love him, you know, and he, he is now married, you know, um, to oh. the love of his life. So, you know, things happen as they should. But during that time, my mentality was, this is what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to go get a job. I was supposed to establish a career. I was supposed to be dating somebody that leads to a long-term relationship, that leads to a marriage, and then have kids and live my life happily ever after. But somewhere in that time, in I think the last year of the relationship, I felt deeply lonely and I felt like, mm. you know, we weren't aligned anymore. I was, we were growing into different people and, uh, I 
somehow was just like, okay, we open this relationship up. Like, what if I still love you very much, but like, you know, and he's also Asian. So it's like we had our our mindset of like what this should be according to what we, our software that we were brought up with. And I remembered like wanting to go on Tinder and like meet new people and have, you know, more sexual experiences because I was clearly more of a sexual person Mm -hmm. and like um, we had different needs and you can't, and then I was like, is it fair for me to project all my wants and desires from one person to fulfill every aspect of my life that I feel was lacking. And that's seriously not fair. And, um, and so what happened was, um, I went to France, uh, for my 28th birthday, I just went alone. And I, um, I basically had an experience with somebody. I met somebody and it was, it was just literally a one night thing. And I've never cheated before, but, uh, but I, guess this I would say this is considered cheating but I I had that experience I remembered I was tormenting myself I turned the shower on hot all the way I stood underneath it for two hours thinking why don't I feel shame why don't I feel guilt why don't I feel Mm -hmm. you know like what I'm supposed to feel and um and that person really reignited you know my my whole my whole view of myself. Like I felt like a goddess that night, you know? And then I came back and I told him and he, he didn't, it was uncomfortable for him to discuss it. So, um, he wanted to sweep it under the rug so we could continue living our life. But I feel like I'm not living authentically who I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to be. And at that point I knew that we had to break up and, you know, start our lives anew. Um, and you know, I was in my late twenties. Yeah. That's so hard. But it was necessary. really hard. It was necessary. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I, uh, it, we were living together. We very much had a life together and, uh, you know, you're starting all over again. And, uh, so I started, you know, dating around, uh, dated a lot of different people. And I realized that my mindset was set to monogamy and I didn't know that there was anything else outside of it. And I realized when, I look at a person and I'm like, all right, well, I'm looking for a monogamous relationship. Suddenly there's all these insecurities that come with it. They're like, what if they don't see me the same way? Who likes who more? Like suddenly it's just like this push and pull of like who has more power in a power dynamic. And it made me miserable. Mm -hmm. I, I had all these mind games that I played with myself and I was just like, am I enough for somebody? What do they want from me? Am I able to give that much? Do I even really like this person? And it became so damaging. Um, and I know everyone's experiences are different and every, you know, some people like to date multiple people at one time. And I realized my pattern was because I only had this one long-term relationship. I was like very specific about who I was dating and whoever yeah. had me at the time I gave my full attention to. Right. But it wasn't making me happy. Like mm. it was just like, and why do you think it wasn't? Why do you think it wasn't making you happy? Because of all the, uh, I would say the social construction of what I was expected to do at a young age. I was expected to find that life partner and get married and like, and try and try. Right. And there was no one right. Also were people more possessive, more jealous of your time than you were willing. Okay. And what, what, how did that make you feel? Like, how did that make you feel inhibited? You know, um, it became very codependent and I was just like, wait, I'm falling into the same patterns. How come I feel like I'm getting into the same relationship dynamic as I was Uh. with my long-term boyfriend. And I there were these patterns that were happening and, um, and you don't have any time to think for yourself. So then I decided to just stop dating 
for like a year. I was just like (laughs) fucking stop. I was like, I need to date myself and I need to fall in love with myself. So then I really worked on that. I worked on, you know, me and putting myself first and then, um, started really the, the poly experiment started, I think maybe just a year ago. Quick question. Just before we, we go into like this next leg of the journey, what were some of those things that you had to do to find self-love? What were those, what were those steps you had to take? You, uh, you know, you do this exercise where you look in the mirror and like your first knee jerk reaction is, do you even like yourself? Oof. Oof. Wow. That just hit me in the gut. Do you like who you see in the mirror? Do you think she's hot? Mm. Right. And I didn't, I had all this, I had like adult acne. My hair was a mess. I gained so much weight and, um, I don't feel hot, but like that one like experience in France, that person made me feel hot again. Mm. And, and it, it reignited that like, and you know, the words that he said to me, everything that, you know, happened, it just affirmed that somewhere down there, like I still had love for myself. And I feel like what didn't work in my long-term relationship was I was losing sight of myself. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, I basically took myself, you know, I traveled a lot that year. Um, I traveled a lot by myself that year. I, um, basically, you know, I think I really focused on my career. I focused on, you know, my health. I focused on, you know, asking myself what it is that I desire from a relationship. And to be fair, being in Los Angeles and like dating around, I still haven't really met who I think is like a right match for me, but that's okay because like I have now made myself, I could look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, yo, you're pretty rad. You Mm -hmm. know, like you've worked on like letting go of your jealousy. You've learned on letting go of control. You've learned on letting go of the fact that you're not perfect because like you and I growing up, we wanted to be perfect for other people so much and like forgiving ourselves for that and being more compassionate and loving. Um, So now I look at her and I'm just like, I could go to bed with you, you know, even if it's alone, um, Mm. because I like you and I love you a lot. Right. Right. And that is so difficult to to build up to. Like, and I think that's so beautiful is like you had this self-discovery that you were poly, um, Mm -hmm. like that, like that's your sexual orientation and you couldn't have gotten there without first getting to know yourself, loving yourself, being okay with the person that you would be bringing into any relationship or relationships. Yes. Um, And I think that is such a good lesson because I think if we are looking for fulfillment in other people, the fact is like, we're never going to find it. Like if we cannot be satisfied and pleased and, and I, and, Honestly, like I know we're both work in progresses, you know, I'm not saying it's a perfect journey, but I'm saying that the, that to seek out knowledge of oneself then allows you to invite other people into your life in a healthy way, you know, for sure, for sure. And I just want to also emphasize that like poly doesn't necessarily mean sexual attraction, you know, just right. sex either like you're talking about emotional, intimate relationships, you know, there's people who are asexual that you can right. have relationships with, like, it really depends on how you define it and like what kind of love you want to receive and give to other people and what you and your primary partner, you know, feel comfortable with. Because yeah. what I learned about poly Emory is that communication and boundary <laughs> setting is like the most important thing in the forefront. And I re- remembered like when I was, you know, in monogamous 
relationships with people. I just played, there was all these mind games, yeah. right? And you're afraid to like chase someone else away. You're afraid of, of all this stuff. But like right at the front, you're just like, I'm respecting the people that you're with. I'm, I want you to respect me and I respect you. You know, what do you want from this? What do I want from this? Are we aligned in it? And like, there's a comfort in that straight from the beginning, you know? And I, I feel like it's, um, it's like what I hear about, uh, like both like subdom communities, it's mm-hmm. like they have to like consent and communication is constant and there's yes. still issues within that community as well, but it's so much better, um, than like standard couples. And, and then also with like gender roles, um, like queer couples tend to be able to define those in a different way, you know, for sure. Um, so, okay. So what was kind of that light bulb moment for you where you crossed that threshold and you were like, oh, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm Polly and I'd like to pursue this lifestyle. Like, what was that for you? I first had a conversation with a friend of mine who was Polly mm-hmm. and, um, she basically told me that, um, she's seeing somebody that she's very excited about, but he's also seeing like other people and she was completely fine with it. Got and you. I'm like, don't you get jealous? Because I think, you know, the, the knee jerk reaction is, Oh, I'm seeing this person. They see me. And I like to think that we're into each other and like pursue a relationship, but why would they want to see other people? And then she said, I know that whatever that person and I have is something special and is just between us and no one can take that away from us. We have what we have and they can have whatever they have with that other person, but no one can take away what this special thing is between us. And that really recalibrated the way that I saw love. And yeah. then I started seeing somebody, I started opening up to, you know, um, and now there's a lot of people who are open now in these dating apps. I, you know, I just went on a whim and went on a date with um, somebody who was married. And, oh. um, and it was, it was really wonderful. Like, it, like basically everything that I thought, I'm like, oh, it's just going to be sex. And like, they just mm-hmm. want sex with other people. You know, these very damaging, toxic, false, misconceptions. Yeah, yeah, misconceptions about what Polly is. But, you know, it was very much like, uh, very emotionally open, very grounded, very communicative. Like there's no way a polyamorous relationship can work ethically, um, without clear communication with their partner. So Right. That really is to me, like, how do you see unconditional love? You know, because like, no matter what in your long-term relationship, things are going to change between the both of you. You're going to want different things. And, um, and are you, do you have enough foundation and trust in your relationship to let them go and live their best life? You know Mm. what I mean? And, um, and it's like, you're never also for some strange reason so far in my journey, I knew, I know I'm still relatively new at this is that like, I've never lost anyone. I never had the fear of losing anyone because I know that what we have is what we have. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so it's been wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, So it aligned with kind of your, your world philosophy and maybe even how you've pursued other like friendships and and like not sexual relationships in your life that's how you viewed people but all of a sudden with monogamous relationships you had to like put that in its own container and now you're like putting it all together because i know like from you i learned i learned what real friendship could look like i learned what love and 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 being so generous like our apartment where we lived in together um shout out mentone fireflies yes. um, it was a revolving door of people um coming and and having late night conversations with you and your heart was always open to people and you were always cooking meals for people and you were always buying things for people like um that they needed and you it, like that 
energy that you had towards friendship where it was like love only grows, you know, as you extend it to more people. It's not limited. Um, I think is actually baked into your DNA, but because of, you know, like the training from the society you grew up in and the family you grew up in, um, you felt that you had to operate differently when it came to your romantic relationships. For sure. It's like you either go in or lose everything, right. which is so scary because you're like, well, why am I investing my time then? But the, but you shouldn't look at love like that, right? Love is just about like building something with someone you like. And like, if it's mutual, you continue to build it over time. Um, and, you know, for me, I want to ask you what love means to you. But to mm-hmm. me, it's like accepting this person for who they were in the past, who they are now and how they might change in the future. And yeah. like we never really we die alone that's kind of morbid but it's not you know it's like yeah we we live our life in our bodies yeah and um you are the most important thing in your life and your partner is incredible and like will live but but everything has a cycle everything has a beginning and and an end you know but like what does love mean to you i'm curious like as real quick as a a married person (laughs) okay um I think I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I'm in my second year of being married now. So we've been married about 18 months. Um, And I remember like the pastor at our wedding. um, His name's Jason. He was like, you know, marriage will also include some of your loneliest days. Um, And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm sticking with this person forever. Um, But it's true because not because my husband is neglectful in any way, but it's like he can drive me to the hospital, but I have to go into the surgery myself is essentially what I boil it down to. Like there's nothing that I have to face that I can't like, there's nothing I have to face that I will fully be able to have him by my side in. And, um, I think that's like, maybe that sounds really obvious um but for me it was it was like okay like you're choosing a life partner and for me love basically is is what you said it's 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 loving him for his past for his future for his present loving him even when it's very difficult learning that love even when I feel like I'm at the end of my rope or the bottom of my barrel or my you know my well is empty I can dig a little bit deeper and find the capacity to love him, um, even in very difficult times. Um, but at the end of the day, there's only so much he can be there for me for, and there's only so much I can be there for him for. So in that way, it's like having our own individual lives is still very important and taking care of the self is so important. And one of the things that I think really drew me to him when I first met him was he, he had been in therapy for maybe three or four years up until that point. And, um, he was like, my, my, my mental health is gonna, is my responsibility. And he's like, I don't want to have to put that on you. Mm. And, and that actually was like, because I have a savior complex and, and to be honest, so does he, and I want to come in and I want to fix everything. He was depressed. I want to come in. I want to, you know, put up some lights, boom, better. You know, he, you know, Oh, okay. Maybe diet and exercise. I want to fix things. And the fact that he was basically saying like you, you, you it is not your job to fix me. And I am, I am taking care of my own fixing. Um, 
it was difficult at first because I like to, to be useful, but it was also sitting in the fact that this man loves me, even though I'm not like, I'm not offering him a service, (laughs) you know, I, I'm not, um, finding a way to make myself needed in his life Mm -hmm. in that capacity. So yeah, I, I think there is a lot of loneliness in love still. Um, and it's not for not being good at loving one another. It's just the nature of being a human. You're in your own brain. You have to go into your own surgery. You're going to be in your own coffin. Like to an extent, we're very lucky to find people, partner or partners to be with in this lifetime. But ultimately, it's still a solitary experience. So that's. Uh, exactly <laughs> exactly and and our society romanticizes like yeah. the couple like fucking no other and i hate totally. that yeah. you know i'm just like i feel like your romantic life's like a sliver of your life you know but then like you know your friendships and like everything else family like that all takes up just as much yeah and without balance like any romantic uh relationship is is going to be burdened you know it's it, it, like basically it was like um i used to say shit like a, to abe like don't ever die because i can't live without oh you. oh my gosh and, and and you know and then he would say like one day he was like you know that's a lot of pressure i i can't <laughs> decide whether or not i die you know what i mean and and then one time i was like oh like when we get to the afterlife will, will you look for me he's like well i don't know if i'll be able to and i was so pissed i was like so angry i'm like what you don't want to spend the afterlife together you want to be separated like what the fuck dude but he was like no like i literally don't know what's going to be happening on the other side and if it's a heaven that the christians believe then like i'm gonna be so engrossed with you know singing hallelujah to the lord that i may not know to look for you and if there is no (laughs) afterlife then i can't i don't want to promise you something that i can't later do you know so um we've i've definitely also very practical matured (laughs) yeah yeah quite like very realistic i wanted like a romantic like i'll 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 like light a torch for you and wait at the gates with saint peter until you arrive and then usher you in i know that's like what i wanted but obviously like (laughs) that's a that's also an unhealthy unrealistic (laughs) but also why i'm a songwriter because i would write that song um and it's it's not realistic but it's emotional language you know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. Wow. Okay. So question for you then. I have a, I have a couple questions before a very big question. Um, but okay. So what are some, what are some things that you've unearthed in this process? Like what are, are there some latent views of gender roles that come up? Has it been surprising? Um, what are like, what are ways that you thought you were a good communicator, but maybe weren't as good as you thought? Um, oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Like, listen, like polyamory isn't like, oh yeah, I could just have everything. Like that's definitely not what I'm saying here. Like yeah. you're dealing with more people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to manage your your emotional expectations you have to manage yourself a lot more you have to manage their love language and your love language and all of that clashing like it's 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 still a lot like for me honestly i don't think i could date more than two people at a time that's my limit some people could just be like oh, i'm just like constantly seeing new people and like managing my own relationships so when they begin and when they end i'm like cool that's cool for you but like my life everything else takes up a lot more and yeah. sometimes i don't i'm not dating anybody like i'm still going through those stages where I would just be like, okay, maybe it's just good for me to just be single right now because I do love being single. Like I've been single for four years now and it's like, um, there's a freedom to it. There, there's a, you you know, I, I feel like the grass is always greener, but 
I think, yeah, like it's definitely helped me grow. This whole experience has helped me grow in terms of communicating my needs and like being softer and understanding everybody else's different worlds and um, all of my negative thinking and expectations, like assumptions and shit, like you should just throw that out the window. Mm. You know what I mean? And that love takes time to build and like it takes time to really get to know somebody and in a fast moving society, in a fast moving fucking city, like you want to be able to nurture the ones that will come to mean something to you that you invest your time in. Um, And I also want to say that you have to give yourself permission to change as well. So who knows, one day in the future, I might go back to being monogamous and I will give myself permission to do that. And if yeah. I want to open it up again, I totally can. You the know, future like, is fluid, you know? Future is fluid. And like, <laughs> you should always give yourself, you should be the one to give yourself permission to live yeah. however the fuck you want to live with whoever partner you're with or partners you're with, you know? Right. And so um, and, and so I think it's, it's really wonderful because like in this experience I've come to date, a lot of different people and and in terms of like every relationship and connection you have it's like a mirror that you hold up to yourself Uh, right like you learn something new like it's really not about the other person when it's that relationship it's like how are you reacting to it how are you feeling about it and you realize there's all this subconscious shit that you actually have to work through with your ego your pride you know questioning whether or not it's your intuition or your insecurities like that are speaking to you about certain things so it's a hard process, you know, but I've learned a lot. Yeah. Have you worked, had the chance now to kind of really work on like what really drives attraction for you? Like, is it more sexual? Is it more mental? Is it specific? Is it not specific? Is it just to the, the, the soul? You know, what is that kind of unearthed for you? I, um, and I, you know, I love astrology. So I think that <laughs> astrology has really helped me in identifying. I used to beat myself up all the time, asking myself, why can I just be like a good girlfriend? And like, why can't I just be this a wife? Why can't I just be this and just follow the trajectory of what's expected of me? And um, I, uh, I beat myself up over it. And then I looked into my birth chart and then uh, Venus, Venus is the planet of like friendship and love. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I discovered that my Venus is an Aquarius, which means that I have a detached manner when it comes to emotions. And some people find that frustrating um, because I like independence, but also I really base my romantic relationships on on friendship first. Got it. Um, and those are the ones that are more long lasting to me. And so, um, I come to with, with that all, it's always good to learn about yourself. It's always good. And, and like, and then I think astrology has really helped me forgive aspects of myself where I couldn't fulfill other people's expectations and given me the ability to forgive myself and accept myself for who I am. And for me, um, Aquarius is an air sign. So air signs are intellect and communication. So I'm very turned on by someone's brain. Um, it doesn't matter what you look like. I'm like, <laughs> if you and I can can have can talk for a long period of time, debate, you challenge me, I challenge you, and and that could turn into a fury like fucking thing, you know, like physical thing, and yeah. and um and then maybe emotional if time develops, you know what I mean. But my first ingredient is intellect. What about you? Do Ooh. you know about your love language, and what are some of the things that turn you on? Um. It's definitely, I've been like this my whole life. I don't really know if it's accurate or if it's good. But when I meet 
I, I've met certain people and I get this overwhelming feeling and I've only been wrong maybe like once or twice or something. But um, all of the close friends I have in my life, like you included, I had this like overwhelming, almost like, I don't know. It's like maybe if like, it's almost like if you, I guess I hear that you smell something before you have a stroke. I, I almost feel like that. <laughs> Um, and, and sorry, not to make fun of strokes, but like, it, it's just like this overwhelming feeling, almost a smell, almost like a, a color that I see. It's almost like synesthesia for these special connections. And, um, I always follow them. Um, and to intuition, it's my, yeah, it's my intuition. It's my aura meeting their aura. And it, um, I, I have to trust it, especially for friendship. So like with my, my friend, Emily, shout out to Emily Shung. I love her. Um, she, I met her and like, by the end of the night, I was like, we have to live together. <laughs> I was just like, so intense about it. Like I'm, I think, you know, this rocks, I can be kind of an intense person. And like yeah. <laughs> when I like, I, and if I fire off text messages, like too much, it's because I'm so excited. I'm like <laughs> so in love and um, so enraptured. And I have, I've really learned to curtail myself because my sister describes me as a puppy. Um, I just have puppy energy you know some people have like cat like energy yeah i'm a puppy and like i literally will jump up and scratch your legs to pieces because i'm just so stoked um and so when i met my husband i i had that feeling and i was i was in a relationship and i freaked the fuck out and i noped out of our first conversation i was like gotta go this is danger 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 um and i literally broke up with the person i was seeing three days later Um, and it would have been sooner because they went out of town, but I broke up with them like immediately after hid from the world for, for two months. And And that was a long-term relationship too. That was a long-term relationship as well. Yeah. (laughs) That wasn't like a short thing you could easily break up with. No. And, and, and we'll talk about my serial monogamy, I'm sure in the future, but I had to be with this person because it was exactly, it was, it was all the things you said. He, he, like we were both pastors kids, which was crazy. Um, he was a musician and he just had the most beautiful soul. And I just felt his soul. And that is all I realized I needed in my life. And, and to this day, you know, uh, uh, we've uncovered a lot of issues with me, uh, issues with him. But at the end of the day, I think the, the thing that holds us together is like, I, I love the, the texture and the color and the sound of his soul. And, um, and you know, again, I'm a songwriter. I, I'm very emotional, (laughs) but that (laughs) is how I see the world, you know? And, um, and, and that's, what's kind of kept us together, but okay. So question for you rocks, um, speaking about expectations, have you talked to your parents about this and what was their kind of reaction? How did they respond? Um, I feel like I'm at an advantage because my parents live very far away in Taiwan. <laughs> like there's a freaking Pacific Ocean separating us. And so yeah. it has really helped with our relationship. Like I do think that if I lived in the same town as them, 
our relationship would not be as strong as it is gotcha. today. Got like it. distance makes the heart grow fonder. I a hundred percent believe that. And I have this thing. I, I am a very rebellious. I was a very rebellious kid and I still have a very rebellious, eccentric, unorthodox nature. Um, and so I challenge them a lot, you know, in the way that I think in the way that I live. And I know that hasn't been easy for them either. And this is, you know, this is, this is no exception. Like I remember telling my mother first, because I talked to her more often. My dad usually has more work and it's not so available. And I started telling her that I'm like seeing multiple partners and, Mm. you know, obviously her knee jerk reaction was, this is not cool. You know, like this is not, this is what, you know, that's dirty. And like, you have Mm. to protect yourself. You can't trust them. Or Mm. what's the point if they already have like a wife, what's the point if they already have a partner or something And then I said, but I feel very happy. I feel very fulfilled. Like the love that I'm getting is making me very happy. You know, like I have autonomy and I have security, which is like the the two things that you want in a healthy relationship. Right. Right. And, um, and then, so at at a certain point, you know, um, I would tell stories about like my dates. I would tell stories about like how happy I am. And pretty soon, you know, your parents just want you to be happy. Like despite, you know, the, the misalignment or like the miscommunication or like the different ways of communicating it's like they want you to live your best life. Mm-hmm. And so my mom said, she starts calling them like my friends. Like she mm-hmm. doesn't call them my partners. And she That's didn't tell my dad. Asian yeah. parent thing. Oh, it's How their is your friend? friend? Yeah. How is your friend? You know, and I'm like, which friend? <laughs> like, <laughs> but, uh, but, but it, it's, you know, some people have come and went and some people definitely are still in my life. But, um, yeah. and then I started, you know, my dad, <laughs> bless my dad, you know, my dad, my <laughs> yeah. dad is like an Aquarius. So yeah. he's definitely someone who's very forward thinking, you know, he, his head is in the future and he, he honestly just like, wants me to be happy and like live my best life however the fuck I want to and he's a comedian too. um he is yeah, yeah he's so he's so funny he, he's wonderful <laughs> and so he goes as long as you're safe and as long as you're happy right because the world you live in my dad has always said the world that you live in is one that I didn't grow up with so I can't be in judgment of that he goes like I, I can't understand that and I have no idea what it's like to be in your shoes and I'm sure that whatever you're going through is very difficult right. and so um I so my parents both are very different in terms of that thinking but they have no choice like they have to accept me right you know for who i am because they have no choice and they have to love me because they have no choice and they can't (laughs) show up on a saturday and chase people out of your house like you know what i mean yeah they can't they're we're literally (laughs) separated by notion so they have no choice but to trust me totally totally (laughs) and i I love that coded language because um so a, a few of my cousins came out and you know brought their wife or husband to gatherings and and my parents still say like, like quote like ex person's friend, you know. And I'm like, they're <laughs> like they're fucking married assholes, like you know. But <laughs> I get it. That's their way of coming around to it, and that is actually their way of not saying bigoted things. So I, I shouldn't be so angry at them about it. Um, I wish they could skip ahead a little bit to the future, but um, you know, acceptance is is a journey in and of itself, and I don't think. I'm learning not to, cause I think when I first like really became like, when I became liberal, I became super liberal, you know? And I think over time I've started to understand like, there's no, there's no room for growth if we can't have dialogue and there's no room right. for growth if we can't walk people through the process. And is it easy and should it be on our shoulders? Maybe not. No, but can we, yes, we can, you know what I mean? Like, um, 
to engage in that dialogue, not to just point out how bigoted something might sound or be, but actually get down and to their level and you know, if there is a desire, if there is a desire to accept, if there is a desire to go on this journey to kind of facilitate it in some way. Um, I, I've, I've been learning that that's okay. That, you know, and, and that's kind of what's scary about cancel culture is it doesn't allow, you know, if your parents were celebrities, you know, things that maybe your mom has said might be marked inappropriate and, and canceled. But the fact is, like, we're all breathing, living, evolving human beings. And I think that our parents are in that number for sure. You know, we have to be able to forgive them for that. You know what I mean? It's, it's like hard. no one's perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no. Okay. Well, final question for you. So Roxy in a world without <laughs> social barriers and expectations, what does your ideal relationship and living situation look like? Oh, that is a very hard question (laughs) because you're always thinking about everything in terms of the construct or framework of the, of the society you live in. You know what I mean? And it's so hard to imagine. I mean, I do want a life partner. I think right now I'm just, you know, most of the time in my polyamorous relationships, I, I tend to date people who already have you know, life partners. And I think for me as a way of protecting myself and setting those boundaries, I haven't gone all the way in because of that. And it Mm. satisfies me for what I need right now. I do want a life partner. I do want a family. Um, and you know, you play so many of these little mind tricks with yourself and I'm like, Oh, I'm a director. I'm I'm usually gone all the time. What does that look like? Do I need a house husband, a housewife? Like I, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it's just so you, you you get caught up in the fucking anxiety of it all. And, uh, I think I don't want to look too far ahead because honestly, I can't answer that question. I don't know what it looks like. I just know that I'm ready to receive love and give love. And, um, I would like a life partner trying to manifest that, um, into just be able to work with someone and collaborate with someone in the long term because I haven't had a serious relationship in a very long time. Yeah. And then hopefully ideally be able to adopt somebody or like a, like a kid who needs mm-hmm. a family in the future. And that is basically because, you know, I'm just like climate change and like, you know, the pandemic, like yeah. I don't can't imagine having my own kid right now. Right. Um, yeah. so that's, Oh, I want to throw this question to you too. Okay. Like what mm-hmm. are your future plans? Gosh, it's so up in the air. And I think that if you would ask me in my mid 20s, I would be like, we want to have kids. We want to live somewhere. Um, You know, I I think it would would be much more standard. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think once I got laid off um, from my job, it kind of shifted my paradigm. Um, And it, it, it made me kind of look into just kind of it's not even an alternative lifestyle just like not following the script um especially for like asian americans what's expected um and i i honestly don't know i think that's my that's my real answer and it's actually nice don't know yeah i think we we just don't know know. yeah so that's the theme of this podcast (laughs) we both don't know why are we why why thank you for tuning in to two people that don't know anything (laughs) we don't know um but i think there's a beauty in that and like the 
past couple of years of my life have been so unexpected. Like, I didn't think that my husband would become an actor. I thought he was going to be a drummer forever. I didn't think we would move to Ashland because of his new acting, like, you know, occupation. I didn't think we'd move to La Jolla. I didn't think we'd move to New York. Like, so many things have been unexpected in this life um, together. Like, the moment we got married, things have been unexpected. So I just literally, I want to stay open. I have no idea. Right now we're back in L.A. I don't know what the future holds for the world and I don't know what the future holds for us. Like right now, I think, I think like obviously the idea of kids is always going to be there. Um, and you know, there's a lot to figure out with that. Um, but right now with our nephews and niece, um, we're having a great time with them and learning a ton from them and also learning how difficult it is, especially when the kids are hitting adolescence. So yeah, that's where we're at. I don't know. <laughs> I think the lesson the lesson from both our answers is that like we should just enjoy the present. Yeah. Don't worry so much about the future. So much is unknown. You can't predict the future. I mean, you can sort of cuz I'm a tarot reader, but like <laughs> there but things shift, you know what I mean? But yes. like it's it's it things can change at any point you decide not to do something and you do have control over that. So, we just want to say to everybody like live your best life, live in the yes. now. You know what I mean? Appreciate everything that you have. Love fearlessly and receive love. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, the fact is we are all going to die. Like our we're yeah. all going to shed our mortal coil and we are going to go into the great beyond whatever that may be. Right. And whatever right. you believe that may be. Um, and if we don't have a fucking party, like what, what was the point? You know, what was the point? Sure. Let's have a fucking party. Yes. <laughs> Amen to that girl. Yes. Rox, we've covered a lot of topics today. If people want to learn more about polyamory, is there some literature or websites that you would point them to? I really recommend this book called The Ethical Slut, and I I would recommend even monogamous people to read this book as well. It's by Janet W. Hardy and Dossie Easton, and it basically teaches you, you know, about love and, like, how to manage your emotions, the jealous. Like, it helps you navigate better communication in your relationships and also gives you more insight on polyamorous relationships, Mm. um, Mm. and it just teaches you about love and how to love. So I really recommend this so that, like... Uh, like you you talk about like inclusions with like race gender orientation sensitive cultural issues whatever like all of this sort of like takes place into that so if you Mm -hmm. want to learn more about like how to navigate your relationships the ethical slut is a book i would recommend and um so are they kind of redefining the word slut are they like taking it back and you know re-empowering the term so I would, <clears throat> I think the best way to say this is I will read the back description because okay. it's the best way to, uh, to t- tell you about this book. But it's uh, for it. people curious to move beyond conventional monogamy, anybody interested in learning better skills for love, sex, and intimacy. So this book will open you up to the adventure and freedom that comes from, from redefining the way you relate to friends and lovers. So um, this helps you practice successful and ethical polyamory through open communication, emotional honesty and managing jealousy so um there's like topics like overcoming sexual shame which is what we Mm. talked about a lot in this episode um and interviews you know contemporary people who are making this way of loving a reality so it's the best way to find your desires and discover romance and friendships beyond your dreams i I really like how they put that oh wow i love it i'm i'm gonna have to borrow that from you 
Of course, anytime. I got to I got to dig into that and because uh, that's so important. That's like a very like meaty topic, and so many things are not broached often enough. I think we can always be learning more about our relationships. All right. Well, on that note, it's time for unsolicited picks. Unsolicited picks. <laughs> Priska, yes, you've been asking me questions this entire podcast. Um, okay, yes. So I'm gonna ask you because we gotta rep that T A prime. Now I'm saying, hey, hey, hey. So, mm-hmm. what are your favorite Taiwanese restaurants in the greater Los Angeles area? Okay, so, so some of my picks are. I think for Taiwanese breakfast, you cannot go wrong with Huge Tree Pastry. They've been around for so many years. Um, it's family owned and operated, and it, it like you can get all the all the classics. You can get doujiang, which is like soy milk. Um, I, I believe you can get it sweet or salty. Um, they have youtiao. They have Ooh. like you know fan tuan, like stuff like that. Like ev- oh, everything's making me great. hungry. <laughs> I know, and that's the thing with Taiwanese breakfast is like you can make it at home, but it's kind like fan tuan it's kind of hard to make at home because like you have to have so many ingredients, you know what I mean? Mm. So you do kind of have to go out for it. Oh my God. I'm literally starving. Um, and <laughs> I would say, and I'm from the nine Oh nine. I was, I was raised in the six two six. Then, you know, went to high school in the nine Oh nine. And if you don't know what that means, it, there's uh East of LA, there is a, an area called the SGV or the San Gabriel Valley. Um, the area code is, 626. So that's what, you know, we're referring to, but it's a high concentration of Chinese, Taiwanese, um, uh, Hong Kong style restaurants. And, uh, I live in the 909, which is further East. And, um, I grew up with JJ cafe being the closest thing to like really being a Taiwanese breakfast place. And so it's JJ bakery and cafe. And like a lot of JJ bakeries, they just have like bolo ball and like, you know, just the baked goods, like pineapple buns. Um, and like toast and like rosong mian bao, like like um, rosong bread, pork sung bread. But if you go to a JJ bakery that has a cafe, they have such a huge variety of what they serve. Is it a ten out of ten? No. But are, is everything you'll get like a seven point five out of ten? Yes. And everyone can get what they want. And um, they have noodles and dumplings and breakfast items and all these things and milk tea. That's pretty freaking bomb. Um, all these things together, I, I think it makes for a good experience. Like our family could always go there and have a good experience and then go home with a ton of like baked goods. So, Oh my God, this is making me so hungry for Taiwanese food. <laughs> what about oh you? Oh my God. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about like the LA proper hits that uh, people could probably get once they visit the city. But yes. everybody knows Pine and Crane. That's like really, really famous. It's sort of bougie, Silver Lake hipster, yes. <laughs> like Taiwanese American food. Uh, but it's delicious and also joy and in Highland Park is incredible. They have this hei tang bao bing, which is like black sugar um, shaved ice that oh. just reminds me of Taiwan. Like when it's really fucking hot, like oh you gosh. get that hei tang bao bing and it's just like, it is the most amazing thing ever. And um, I also want to talk about Lao Tao in mm-hmm. um in downtown oh, yeah. LA because they have lots and yeah they have this oyster omelet that just so like good. reminds it's so fucking good and oh um yeah like wow I'm like super hungry now <laughs> like I yes. just and oh you know what I miss um what? I haven't gone in so long but do you remember getting like popcorn chicken from like lolly cup or oh, dude um, those were the OGs man like oh, the geez. popcorn chicken with basil and white powder like Yo. white pepper like that is the that was so good and like, chaw for don't tea sleep in Irvine chaw, chaw for dude, tea don't sleep on there. popcorn chicken you yeah. guys like popcorn chicken is like 
amazing. Taiwanese popcorn chicken specifically. It's so good. Yeah, it's like salty, a little a little sweet, I would say. And like the the breading is so light. Yeah. Um, and, and then it usually has some like fried basil or basil, um, thrown into there. So it, it, and it's probably got a shit ton of Specifically Thai basil. Thai basil. Yes. I don't know if it's holy basil or if it's like, or if it's Thai basil or what is it? Is it Thai basil for sure? I think it's Thai basil. At least the one in Lollipop definitely was. Oh my God. So good. I'm okay. Can we go get that right now? We know what we're doing. We're just, okay. We're wrapping up this episode. (laughs) Okay. okay, Guys, uh, we gotta go eat. We gotta go eat. We gotta go eat. (laughs) Even though we can't go out and eat anywhere, it's so sad right now, but it's fine. <laughs> okay, so uh, those are our Taiwan. That's our unsolicited picks. <laughs> okay, love it. Um, so final final thoughts here. Roxy's going to pull a tarot card for the collective. As you know, Roxy is a as a tarot reader, and uh, she's got this dope deck of sassy tarot cards. So here we go. And send your energy to Roxy right now, everybody. All right, send it. Uh, send it energy. Okay, dear universe spirit guys please be here as to pull a card for the collective on what everybody can focus on or work on this week this one just came out ah three of pentacles so this week we have three of pentacles three of pentacles is a lot about sorry but the mic is just crazy because i'm dealing with my cards um it is a, a card about building and about creating firm foundations and learning so if everybody could channel their focus in on like maybe collaborating with somebody that you've always wanted to reach out to gain some insight on um, learning about a new project or a new hobby and like really not being afraid to delve into that. I think it's really about creating the foundation of something new, something exciting. So um, if there's something that you've been wanting to learn or learn more about, be sure to dive into that this week. Mm. Uh, And as always, we are forever students of life. So I think Three of Pentacles is a, a really resounding I don't know lesson for all of us to always be building and to always be growing and to not be afraid to talk to people outside of your comfort zone or outside of your network to gain some additional insight I love that I I am feeling that so hard yeah so that is the card for the collective and uh, we are so excited thank you all of you for tuning in today on our on our episode and uh, we are so excited that and hope that you will join us next week yes Uh, we drop episodes every monday you can find us at two horny goats on instagram and twitter we just launched our socials so we're very excited about that so come and say hello and tweet at us if you have any thoughts about this episode so yeah have a horny week our lovely goatees and remember stay stay horny This podcast is hosted by Roxy and Priska. Music by Abraham Kim. Artwork by Connie Yen. Please visit us at twohornygoats.com.